Hi, this is Patricia. And this is Christina. And this is What They're Worth, a podcast exposing the truths of everyday people who are willing to enter the beautiful mess of foster care and adoption. We're glad you're here. friends and welcome back to episode 22. I am more than pumped today for our guest Richard. He is a fellow Enneagram 2. So we have three Enneagram 2s on this show today. Watch out world. <laughs> and he is a former foster youth. He also has a very cool Instagram and I feel like I'm more popular and cool just by knowing him. So I am very okay. excited <laughs> for him to share his story with you. I think he's going to drop some truth. And so without further ado, Richard. Yes. So, yes, Richard here. Um, I live in, currently live in sunny Southern California, Huntington Beach to be specific. Um, I just kind of moved here um, from about like 40 minutes away. So nothing like super crazy. Um, and yeah, my story kind of, if you want to take it back to the beginning, kind of, um, yeah, I grew up in a very poor, impoverished area, um, it's called San Bernardino. It's, um, so I guess like number two murder capital of like, I think the country don't quote me on it. Maybe quote me on it. Um, yeah, just very rough, um, situations, um, project housing type thing. Uh, parents were definitely on like welfare and food stamps and, uh, they struggled like with their own demons, like drug addiction and uh, alcohol trauma from their childhood that they never kind of addressed or healed from. That kind of passed down to uh, me and my eight siblings, eight sisters. I have nine siblings total. I'm the only guy. And then there's eight girls to follow. So that was a lot of fun kind of growing up. Uh, not really, but <laughs> I have two sisters who are younger than me and then everybody else is kind of older. So. I'm like at the tail end. They really wanted to try for okay. a boy and then they got me and then the last two they were just there. So <laughs> we won't call them a mistake. We won't call them a mistake, but I was planned for and then we had two surprises. So um as my parents would say. Yeah, I lived with them from the age from birth until I was fifteen years old. A little bit more background kind of into home life then. Um, yeah, both my parents kind of struggled with drug addiction and alcohol. Um, when I was in the sixth grade, uh, we got evicted from our project housing, which is like government-funded housing, where they like find you a home, basically. It was like Section 8 type thing. Basically, they find you a home. You have to follow these quick steps in order to be eligible. Um, we lost our eligibility with my parents' addiction. That resulted in us being homeless. We spent probably a good two months, like, definitely like, couch surfing and floating um, from my dad's friend, my mom's friend. It was just like any place that had like an open couch or a bed that would like take us. We were like crashing there basically. There's a little town um, about like 20 miles away from where I was living at the time. And it was very like rural. There wasn't like really any neighbors. Um, and we basically set up shop in like an abandoned home that was there. Uh, it didn't have like a front door, or any windows. There was not even like a roof, an interior roof. It was just kind of like the wooden beams and then the exterior roof. And yeah, the, it only had two rooms that were actually functioning. It was the main room, which is where my mom and my dad kind of like lived. Um, and then there was a separate bedroom, which all five of us siblings um, who were living with them at the time, uh, we all kind of stayed in that room. Yeah, we had no access to public utilities. We didn't have running water. We didn't have electricity. We didn't have 
a toilet even. Uh, our toilet was actually like a, a five-gallon Home Depot or like a Lowe's bucket. And we had a little corner that was like kind of set up. And that's where we handled business. It, we called it the poop room. <laughs> it was like it's so weird, like looking back and thinking like, oh, I used to go to the bathroom and like a Home Depot bucket, you know, or like mm-hmm. I would never take a shower because like I just didn't. But we would get like vouchers every six months to get to stay at like a Motel 6. And like legitimately, that was like the only time we showered. It was like once every six months. And it was like, I mean, it's a Motel 6, but to us, it was like, we're on vacation. Like, we're staying in a motel. We can go swimming, you know? We can take a shower. Like, a shower was such like a luxurious thing for us growing up, which is like insane because like, I'll take two showers a day sometimes now just because I can, you know? Um, but yeah, it's it's just crazy to think about. Our, even like cooking food, we didn't have electricity. We didn't have a refrigerator. We had no way to actually store food. So most of our meals were like mm-hmm. top ramen and like not hot water top ramen. It was like you're eating raw noodles. Um, our infamous meal mm-hmm. is a ketchup sandwich, which is ketchup and bread. And it's just like yeah. that's what we would eat for like meals um, or cinnamon bread. We put, just put cinnamon on bread and eat it. Um, and then the rare occasions that we did have um, like meat or substances, like actual like protein, um, it was us like really like <laughs> – hillbilly lumberjacking it like we're chopping down a tree burning the firewood like splitting the wood um very rural and we have like perfect attendance going to school because we knew that going to school was our way of ensuring that we had food which is yeah it was just like crazy i think i had like perfect attendance from like kindergarten through like sixth grade even but yeah those were kind of like just like the reality of the situations that we were living in my parents were really poor um we were on government assistance but due to them not kind of following the rules that kind of got cut off. Um, we were still going to school. We got bus to school. So we were really thankful for that because we didn't even have reliable like transportation. I remember like a lot of the times growing up, like my dad's car, there was like seven of us, five kids and the two adults. But we had, we had like, a two seater truck for some reason, which like never really worked. Um, and then there was some really weird thing with like the transmission where it would legitimately like catch on fire while we're like in the car. And it's like, you're dumping and you're, like putting the fire out. And it's just like, like insane. Like, the truck didn't have brakes. We have to stop at the emergency brake or we're cutting left real quick so we don't rear end somebody and like coming into oncoming traffic or it doesn't have an actual starter. So we're doing like a push start. Um, so yeah, just kind of a lot of different things. Oh my God. Yeah. And so I lived that way up until I was probably about 13. Um, and then uh, CPS, Child Protective Services, as it's called here, at least in California, um, they kind of found out about our situation and how we were living. Um, and they, they basically gave my parents uh, an ultimatum, like, you guys need to get out of this mm-hmm. place or I'm going to be taking your kids away. And CPS has come definitely in the past, um, even to, like, when we did have, like, an actual home. Clear neglect. Yeah, very visible signs of just, like, neglect. Like, my parents never, like, abused us, never, like, hit us. It was just they just didn't care for us a way that kids should be taken care of. But I even remember, like, tricking CPS when they would, like, come visit. We would borrow food from our neighbors, like, literally stock our fridge. And once the social workers left, we're removing the food and like taking it back to our friend, like my mom's like friend's house. Even like looking back, I'm like, I was like nine years old doing this, you know, and it's so crazy. We're just like lying to social workers where it's like, I'm going to school and I have like, my arms are like black, like I'm filthy. And oh, like, do you guys take showers at home? We're like, oh yeah, we just play like really hard, you know, and it's just like every day, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, just kind of tricking CPS in certain ways that we ended up getting placed back into government housing. Um, once, once we kind of CPS kind of gave us that like initial warning there. Um, Mm -hmm. and we stayed in the project housing again for probably just a year. 
Um, so I was like around, yeah, like 14 at the time. Uh, I was just entering my freshman year of high school. And I started my freshman year of high school in all APs and honors classes. Like I did really well in school. That was something that I did excel at. But we lost our housing. Um, we didn't have electricity. So we, we had the apartment uh, that they kind of gave to us. Uh, again, there were seven of us in a two-bedroom apartment. Most of us were like in the living room even. Um, and yeah, it was. it came time like to pay bills. They had somehow enough to cover rent sometimes, but not bills. So we were staying in this apartment complex with no electricity. We had running water because that was covered by the apartment itself. Um, but we didn't have like electricity. We didn't have gas. We didn't have like still like a lot of like the essential like utilities. Definitely didn't have food. Um, our neighbors, would, they kind of caught on to like what was going on in our house, you know. Um, so we'd like open the door and there would just be like groceries kind of like sitting out front. And we're like, oh, like who left these? You know, it's like somebody like trying to like do something nice for us and stuff. Um, and yeah, that kind of continued for a while until the sheriffs had to like evict us from there because rent wasn't being paid. Um, so I don't think we even stayed there a year. Uh, I was just starting my freshman year of high school um, and we were homeless again. Um, and we were sleeping on this guy's couch and then he was like, oh, you guys can't stay here anymore. Um, so we ended up, I think, registering like actually with the county as homeless. So they gave us like a hotel voucher for like a week. Um, and then that kind of ran out. Um, and this is like the start of my school. I think for the first month of school i went to school for two days because we didn't have a way to get to school we didn't even have like a place to sleep and like this is when like technology i think we guys are like we're all like the same age this is when like you have to type your paper i'm like i don't even have a computer if i was in school now with distance learning i would be screwed because i didn't have electricity i didn't have like wi-fi like that just wasn't even like a reality for me i don't know i feel for like kids who are like in those situations even like right now because it's like i mean literally they are they have nothing that they can do in this moment and yeah that, that was just kind of like the reality of that um at the end of all that, kind of, we realized we don't really have anywhere else to go. Um, we ended up going back to the house that we weren't supposed to be at, um, the one that they had asked us to leave from. And we just kind of weren't telling people that we were there. Um, even going to school, I ended up transferring back um, now with the kids that I like kind of grew up with. So I was in high school. So I, I finished out my freshman year of high school, and it was the summer of my freshman year. And um, we we had we have acquired the generator at that point. So we had electricity at some mm-hmm. points. We never had any gas for it, so I never really understood why we had it. Mm-hmm. It might be like an hour in the evening or an hour every other day kind of thing. Um, and basically, we lived in like the house, if you want to call it a house, that was there. Um, and then now that we had moved back, my dad was like letting his friends kind of stay. Um, my parents come from like a biker culture. Very like, I don't know, there's drugs, there's objectification of women, using women. Like my dad was very physically abusive to my mom growing up as well. Um, thankfully that like doesn't happen anymore. Um, they're still together now. But yeah, it was just such a different culture that I like grew up in then versus how I am now. Um, but yeah, we basically one of the guys who they weren't like getting along with, uh, he decided he was gonna like plug himself into our generator. Um, and so my dad didn't like that, so he like roughed him up a little bit, I guess. Which is in turn had him come or have him come back, and there was like I'm gonna get my people to fight your people type thing, um, and then. That's kind of what happened to us being taken away because my dad was kind of scared because there was like real beef kind of going on there now at that point. So I had, I had two younger siblings underneath me. Um, so I was 15. I had a sister who was 13 and one who was 10. Um, and mind you, we have two bedrooms, so there's not a lot of space in the house. Um, and the bathroom. We, my dad had come back later that night and um, he had guns with him and he had like people with him. Um, and so they kind of like stuck around for three days just to like make sure like nothing was like going to actually happen. And then I had another sister who kind of lived in town more. 
Um, and so the plan was half of us were going to be staying home and then the other half of us were going to be going to my sister's to go take a shower. It was like our first shower in like six months because um, we were supposed to be, um, it was like the start of summer. So on the way kind of to my sister's house, um, we ended up like staying in the night there too, which we like had never done before. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like we're staying the night, you know? Um, but my mom, she, my mom did, my parents did drug drugs, not just like weed. <laughs> like they did speed. They did like, they did like, they did the good stuff. <laughs> um, and my parents, they, like they were so, they, we were poor enough to where, I don't know, it's really hard to explain. Cause my mom, I just remember for like the last like three or four years of me like living with her, she was just like literally sleeping 24 seven. She would not wake up. Are you like alive? Like at some point, you know, uh, it was hard to eat. Cause like, I remember like growing up, my parents did do drugs and they kind of had like enough to like do it. Yeah. They were probably under the influence, but like the house was clean. Like things were happening, you know? Um, but I think my mom had just got like, had gotten just enough, like not enough to like fully like kick it where like, she was like, like, we don't have neighbors. It's not like she can ask somebody to like borrow some stuff or whatever, you know, she was detoxing. Her body was like detoxing in a way to where she like sleeping, sleeping, sleeping. And then she'd get like a little fix here. And then it would kind of drag out. And I think that it just happened over like the, the span of like, yeah, like two to three years where it was like her body was never fully able to just kick her addiction because she was still getting like little bits here and here. Um, and I feel like that just really kind of like drew out that process for her. Um, and just left her like in the cloud. I mean, she had no idea what we were doing. Like we could have, been kidnapped and like nobody would have like known you know um but yeah with the whole situation with the neighbors down below kind of um or the people who like lived in the trailer down below they um there was a my dad had like guns with him so he had 12 gauge shotguns like pistols um, i remember one morning waking up the initial day after and just seeing like tons of motorcycles on our property and it was there was just like it was like the new hangout for the day because they were just making sure like nothing was happening um and yeah, then basically we were kind of a way to like do our hang out with our sister and like do like our shower stuff or whatever. Um, but they saw two kids playing in a field because like we literally had no neighbors. But I guess somebody called the police and like, oh hey, like I see two little kids like literally in the middle of nowhere. It's because of I status. And um, so somebody like called the police <laughs> and then they get there and then my dad and his friends had stolen like a, a diesel truck off of the freeway and they were like slowly pulling pieces apart basically to like scrap it like recycle it but you can't take like a whole diesel like i have this whole thing let me recycle it i have a fender i have a frame you know so they're like kind of piecing it out so where they can get their like the money worth you know so they saw that they see two little kids kind of in the field um and then uh the house was kind of hidden so no one actually knew there was like a house there and it was kind of like hidden like up a little really long driveway like probably like a quarter mile long and then there was just like trees and then like the house was like inside uh what remained of the house i guess um, and so it basically, my sister saw like there was police and so they're like, Oh, like we're scared. We're going to run. They're like 10 and 13 or 12. And so they're like running up basically. And the cops follow them. They find my mom passed out, laying on the bed, barely conscious. You know, they're looking around. My sister's 10 years old. There's a loaded 12 gauge shotgun laying on the ground. We have zero food. We have a room full of buckets of poop. It got full. You would just like stack it. And it, at some point you're just like, wow, my whole room is full of like Home Depot buckets or Lowe's buckets, these five gallon buckets of our remains. Um, so they immediately took the kids in. Um, and then they somehow got a hold. My sister did have a cell phone, uh, the one that we were going to go visit. Um, and basically they told my dad like, Oh, like we have your kids. Um, if you don't turn your other two kids that we know that you have, um, in, uh, your name's going to be on like, I don't know if they have this where you guys are at. They have like billboards that there's like missing kids. Um, and like, they show like license plates and they're like, if you don't have, like, if you don't turn your kids in in 24 hours, 
I'm like, your name basically going to be on like those billboards with like the license plate and stuff um, for like child endangerment. So the next morning, we basically went to sleep that night because it was in the evening. Um, and we woke up the next morning and my dad had to like take us to the sheriff's station. Um, and we don't know anything about foster care. So it's me and my oldest sister. We're 11 months apart. Um, the one I'm like most close to. And a social worker walks in and she's like, good news. We found homes for them. And we just thought, oh my God, they gave my sisters away. They're already adopted. Like we had no idea what the process of that looked like, you know? Um, so me and my sister just immediately start crying. We're like, we're never going to see my sister again. Kind of get in the car with the social workers and they say, we have a home, but it looks like they're only able to take one of you guys. Um, and it was the same home that my other two siblings were with. They basically were like, oh, like I need you guys to choose. Who's going to go with your sisters? If anybody else had taken us, like I probably would have been like uh, a really angry individual. But we had like the kindest social work. She sat in the car and like cried with us, held us in her arms. She's like, I, I hate that this is happening to you guys. You guys shouldn't have to make decisions like this. I'm like, yeah, we shouldn't. I'm 15. Um, but we ended up deciding, like, me and my sister talked it out. Like, I'll be fine by myself, but, like, we can't let, like, our little sisters, like, grow up not, I don't know, like, by themselves, you know? So the decision was that she was going to go with my two younger siblings, and I was going to be placed kind of elsewhere. Um, so they, I went with them to, like, drop her off. And I, I honestly, I was like, this might be, like, the last time, like, I ever see my siblings and like, it was like really sad because like I, I got to like see my sister, my little sisters too. So I was able to like give them a hug, um, talk to my, my sister that I was closest with and just, we have each other on MySpace. If you ever get on, just message me. Like we didn't know how foster care worked. We didn't know that we were going to be granted visitation. We were like a fish out of water at this point. Um, and yeah, so I kind of got brought to my home um, that I was at, um, which is the only home that I actually ever ended up staying in. I uh, aged out of the foster care um, with the same family that I entered with, which I you know is like super rare and I'm like super blessed for that. But yeah, and then basically they kind of found out about my situation and they told me like, oh, like we actually have an open bedroom. And if you're willing to share your bedroom mm. with my biological son, um, we'll be willing to take in the rest of your siblings. So it basically worked out to where like my sisters, my two younger sisters, they got the bedroom that I was supposed to be getting and I was sharing with their biological son. My other, my other sister was sharing with their biological daughter. So we all got to kind of be together, which was like a super huge blessing uh, in itself. So that kind of started that there. First of all, I feel stressed listening to that. We take for so much granted the stuff that was just so normal for you and buckets of poop. And I mean, not being, you know, I mean, we talk about this, but like, I don't think we could ever talk about it enough. Like not having any knowledge of what is happening and they don't explain it to you. It's just so much. And then, you know, it's that whole, like, not knowing any different and not wanting to be taken from what you know and lying to social workers. Like, it's just, it's wild. And it's crazy, yeah, because I've been, like, even, like, staying in the placement that I was with. It was really cool because I feel like I was able to help, like, a lot of kids who were, like, just entering care, but they were placed in the same home as me. Um, it kind of had that like same like initial confusion. Like I didn't know if I even had visits. My mom went to jail. It was like oh, like, I didn't even know that she was in jail until like we went to our first court date, and it was just like there was like a month long gap where it was like I just don't know what's going on. You know, um, it's hmm. the summer of my freshman year of high school, and I'm just like I don't know. I'm in this new place with all these new people, and it's, it was like culture shock. I not I I kind of divided my life as like before and after, um, and it was like I had never even been to a movie theater. I'd never been to the beach. I I, my first happy meal, I was 18 years old. There's, there's so much, like, I didn't, we were, like, so secluded, and we just didn't have things. Like, I had, like, a, an understanding of, like, 
pop culture and references because I went to like a school. If I was ever like homeschooled, I would have been like screwed, you know? There's such like, I live such like a different world from even like people like, like our age, I guess, if we're all like the same age. At 15 years old, you probably imagine like, oh, hanging out with your friends in the summer and doing this and that. That just wasn't even like an option. Like, what do I invite a friend over to my house with the conditions that it's in, you know? Um, and like there were occasions where like a friend would invite me over. It was, I would have to schedule it to where I missed the bus coming home and then I stay at their house and then I have to catch the bus home the next day that way I even had like a ride somewhere um but it's like really bad but that was a that was a way to guarantee that you were going to take a shower because it's not weird to take a shower at your friend's house if you're staying the night I was thinking you know I mean now you're you're looking back and you're able to talk about these experiences but when you first went into care and you were first with your foster parents how did you or did you share about your experiences like what was that do you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. like how does that feel just being like oh I'm with these total strangers and like how do I process or like explain or did you yeah I felt like I felt almost I felt shamed first off in the sense where I felt like if like people have the assumption that, especially my foster parents, I think that they meant well. I don't think that they were the best foster parents at all. I knew there was terrible ones that were out there, and I had seen and experienced them at like agency parties and stuff like that. Like, oh my god, like obviously mine not like great, but like I'm very glad like mine not like this. Um, but I feel like there was like a sense of shame. It was almost like you have a roof over your head. You have all of these things that you didn't have before. My parents are in jail. My like, I hadn't seen them in like six months, you know. And it's, I think it's very hard for someone who. I'm helping somebody like they should, they should be grateful that I'm helping somebody. And yes, I'm grateful that all my necessities are being met. My basic human necessities are being met, but it does eliminate kind of like what had just happened. Like we, we had the understanding of SCPS ever found out we were living here. We knew we were going to get taken away. We had like an escape plan. If all four of us were together that day, I don't think that we would even have gotten taken away. Like I genuinely believe like me and my older sibling, like we would have, we would have got my sisters like, and we were like, hid. we had like an entire escape plan. Um, but I felt like there was so much shame that kind of came along with that. I couldn't even voice like, oh, I'm sad because I haven't seen my family or like I, like I miss my mom and my dad, you know, or like my older siblings. Like I have four other siblings that aren't here, you know? Um, and I couldn't voice that because it was like, well, you're in a better position now and you should be happy where you're at now instead of trying to get over it. I guess like they want me to like get over like the past. Um, but yeah, I don't think that there was ever like an outlet like to, to voice those concerns mm-hmm. questions also weren't asked they had a lot of kids they had two of their own kids and then they had they had the maximum which was i think in california at the time was six foster youth or six youth under the age of 18 um so it was us four and then one of their biological kids um who was under 18 and then they had two older kids who still lived with them and then i think they even took on another foster at the time so there was like nine kids in a home basically like Yes, they're 18, but, like, they're still getting parentage, you know, and these are her biological children. They obviously take, like, priority and precedence over the others. Um, but I just – I don't think that there was – I have I have a weird theory about that and even, like, the amount of kids uh, foster parents should be allowed to take on. Like, I feel like you guys are foster parents. So you definitely know <laughs> how much work and, like, is needed, like, on a, even just, like, on a one-on-one basis with – regular kids but it's specifically foster kids and like you mm-hmm. three fo- six foster kids in the mix at once individual emotional and like psychological needs were not being met at all 100 percent looking back i know that that's how it was um and even like educational like i did not go to school 
to learn. I was going to school for survival. And like when I finally had to step into like a student role and like a learning role, I had no guidance or no tutor and nothing like that. It was like, I kind of just had to like figure stuff out. No, you're, you're fine. That's, there's a lot just to be said. Yeah. I think we've, we've, well, first of all, I think a lot of older generation has that mindset of like, stop crying. Oh, let's look at the positive. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, like that's over yeah. now. I've heard that before with situations. Mm -hmm. um, and if I know how hurtful that can be. And we've also talked before on about not expecting yeah. our foster children to be grateful. <laughs> like they're not, like there's still brokenness. Like you said, our willingness to help is awesome, yeah. but it doesn't fix what happened it doesn't erase yeah. what happened when what is currently happening um in a in a child's life when they come into our home and um that's just a really scary um reality that i kids are experiencing I, I know they're still experiencing that yeah and i think a lot of foster parents they do like the basic training and then they kind of like wipe yeah. their hands clean um whether they're doing it for a check or not, I never want to assume that somebody is doing it. I think that most foster parents do mean well and they do want to help, but I don't know. I don't think that agencies are equipping them with the right resources. Are they trauma informed? And if they are, the, coming along with that, you would kind of understand and know. And I feel like that was definitely a huge thing with like my foster parents. It was just there was not. They felt like they were at like the learning capacity that they were going to get with the situation, and it was just like, okay, we're thrown in the towel. It's either going to be like this, or it was like. If you don't like it, you can leave. And that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking that it was never a compromise, even like a conversation. It was very much like, if you're ungrateful and you don't like it, like you, we can find you somewhere else to go. And it was just like the fact that like my housing was even like dangled over my head for questioning, hey, can I go out to see my friends? I don't get why that that's allowed, I guess, or that that was tolerated at the time. Um, and we had like voice our concerns even like to social workers and things like that. And it was, well, these are the rules. So um, it's very interesting. I 100% agree that foster parents in most places, I, I don't know, I guess in our state mm -hmm. are not well equipped oh, yeah. um, initially and we equip ourselves, end up equipping ourselves yeah. um, as we are struggling and, I think, <laughs> and our children are struggling. And I think the foster parents who want to do it right and want to make an actual difference in like the life of these children. And, and it shouldn't be their responsibility, but yeah, they are the ones going out. They're seeking the other resources. They are they're buying the books, you know, like they're, they're doing the trainings and stuff like that. Um, it goes usually unnoticed by like the County or the city. Um, but I, don't, I just feel like, yeah, something needs to be done. There needs to be reform. The whole thing needs to be reformed, but that's a great place to start. <laughs> so, so to that point, um, when we talked on the phone, we talked about how like some kids kind of learn to use that dynamic mm -hmm. to avoid. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, definitely foster parents use that. Like, well, if you don't like it, leave. But kids also use it too. Like, well, mm -hmm. you know, well, if I don't like it, then I'm just going to say I don't like it and I'm just going to get moved. Um, yeah. And obviously that's hurtful, can be hurtful for yeah. foster parents too. And it makes it really hard when you're trying to parent a teenager that you did not raise. Yeah. 
And it's like, you, you know, it's a really hard line of like, well, I don't want to like push them away, but also boundaries, structure, rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And so I guess I'm curious more like, how did you as a teenage boy, how did you manage that? And was it your sisters that really, or it was just the fear of what else could come that you just kind of sucked it up? Yeah, I felt like, um, I mean, I knew early on in like our case, even that like when my parents weren't going to, we weren't going to reunify. It was just very evident. Like my parents had, my parents had like no, nothing. Like we were homeless. Like, like they literally were like ground zero bottom, you know, it's like, I don't think they were even eligible for like to get back on like government housing type thing. I, neither of my parents had worked a day in their life, like an actual real job going in. I kind of knew like, Oh, this, like they always talk like, Oh, my parents will get us back. Um, and even my parents during like our visits, like the empty promises of like, Oh, like I'm working and I'm doing everything to like get, you know? Yeah. Obviously it didn't happen. So I kind of realized, I feel like for sure within like the first six months of my place in it, that like, like reunification isn't even going to be possible. Like I have to like ride this out to, to whatever like the end result is. And if it, the end result is me somehow having to be moved for some reason, then that's kind of what it is. Um, I kind of always knew in my head that I wanted to go to college and I wanted to, um, I just, I saw my parents and what they did and I learned a lot about what not to do. Um, so I kind of was like, if this is the formula of the life that they lived, like I just need to be living in a different way. Um, so I kind of just tried to like not do that. Um, I don't know if there's like a recipe <laughs> to, <laughs> to make it out, I guess, to survive foster care. Um, but yeah, I, I think what kept me kind of going was, yeah, I, I knew that like if I focused and I got, um, if I finished high school, I was going to be able to get into a college. Um, and I would just kind of open up doors and opportunities, even if I don't use my degree or my education, it'll just kind of make me more of a, a model citizen, I guess, um, a functioning member of society. Um, and I'm really glad I did go to college because I feel like I did learn so much even in my early years, but like even just like interpersonal communication and just like how to talk and communicate with people. Um, something that I feel like even my foster parents were like very terrible that there was no basis to an argument. It was just, I'm angry and this is what I'm feeling. And if you don't like it, you can leave. And it's just like, well, that's not really how this works. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have like a, a, a driving force, I guess. Um, when, I did age out and I was 18 um, and I was kind of out on my own for a little bit before I did end up moving back home, uh, moving back in with my foster family because they were moving and I asked if they could get an extra bedroom basically so I could and pay the difference in rent. Um, my sister was adopted by my, by the foster family that I was with. And I just couldn't imagine like living my life and not like watching her grow up, especially since we had already been through like so much together too. Um, and she was five years younger than me. So I was 18. I think she was, she was, uh, I think she was like 14 when I had like, I think four and a half years. Yeah. Uh, and then she ended up getting adopted at 15. So, um, by then it was kind of a way for me to kind of still be in her life. And I still had to deal with like the family and all that. Um, but that was kind of like my driving force. It was like, like my goal is to ultimately be a normal person in society. Um, and that's so weird, not normal person, but like, like be, be a functioning member of society, but also like, maintaining this relationship with my siblings who I entered care with specifically because I just know like especially like I entered at 15 I had three years like my thought was she like my sister entered at 10 she has to do eight years of time you know it felt like a prison really it was like I don't want my sister to do eight years alone so it was very much I wanted to like kind of be in that place with her and all the frustrations that I had during my 15 to 18 
year old of life living with my foster family was like my sister went through those exact same struggles where it's like oh like all my friends are doing this like oh well you can't go anywhere <laughs> like you have to get social workers approval to do this you have to do this and that and it really like limits your childhood growing up in foster care um but because I was a sibling, I was able to like, oh, this is my sister. I'm able to take her to the beach with me if I wanted to do this, you know. Um, so I kind of was really able to like include her in like my life and people that I was like doing life with at the time too. Well, I don't want you to miss on saying <laughs> the special ingredient for you because when we were talking, I was like, Jesus, how are you this normal? How are you even talking yeah. to me right now? Oh, yeah. Because most people who came – and we, I mean, many people yeah. know the kids who came from stuff like that, and they are not okay, mm-hmm. um, even with yeah. stable, productive, maybe more positive parents, and they are not okay. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah, talk about how Jesus found you, because I love it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, kind of entering care at 15. Um, I kind of didn't touch on this before, but... I remember, yeah, being 15, uh, no recollection of church. Like, I had not gone to church. I think I went to church one time for, like, an Easter egg hunt. Um, and it was, like, a small little Baptist church. Um, and I literally remember just that Easter candy egg hunt, <laughs> Yeah. And then we like, got our eggs, and then we dipped, basically. And I think it's because I was, like, with my friends, or I wouldn't even have gone at that point. Um, but, yeah, I remember being 15. I definitely had a severe case of like situational depression like i mean we were hungry we were like poor homeless especially during summer like like i could like the heat like it's hot in california uh, i think it's like it was like 102 the other day and we have no air conditioning we have we don't even have like a window or a wall you're in the heat our front door was a sheet you know yeah i just think that i had these like really like low moments we had like a tree house that we built me and my siblings so people would like dump stuff on our property um, but I don't, I feel like the treehouse is like my thinking place where it's like, I would go there and I would just like sit and like think process life. Like I'd be sad there. I'd, I'd be crying, you know? Um, and yeah, I just remember like going. Crying is good. We like crying. Twos, Enneagram twos. <laughs> um, yeah. I, <laughs> Team cry. I'll cry right now. No. And I just remember going there. <laughs> you can't. Like, you need no. To. no, I'll be good. Um, but I remember going there and just like. And I, I think I was agnostic. I had a, like, some, I knew that there was like something else out there, kind of. But I didn't know what that was. Um, and yeah, I just remember like whatever's out there. If you're real, like save me. Like you know, like we're, I'm miserable. We're miserable. I mean, like, I didn't even want like take me away from my family. It was like just make things better in despair, like crying, you know. And nothing would happen. And it was like I like wipe out my tears. And I was like, I don't know, carry on with life. Um, but this was like the day after everything kind of happened with um, the whole fight, where like the the two sides were kind of feuding and stuff. Um, and I just remember going to the tree like later that evening and just cause like how crazy the situation was just at this point, like it wasn't like I was asking God to like save me. I was middle fingers up like F you God, how could you allow like, like we're kids. Like how do you allow this? Like we're hungry. Like why are things like this? Something I didn't touch on even, I guess when we talked in the conversation before is we had an uncle who would come visit us sometimes um, who didn't like keep his hands to himself either. Um, and he had like just, he didn't just come by for a visit, but we thought that we had like seen him. So it was just like a really like, emotionally turmoil filled day that kind of like put me back in like a headspace I didn't want to be in. I was sitting under the tree crying, like saying, God, like, like screw you for like making me in the situation. The day later, two days later, we were like taken away and stuff. Um, and yeah, I kind of, I was introduced through to Jesus through my foster family. Um, I remember I, it was my first night there and I went to like play pool and I like missed and I like let out a bad word and the whole room was like stopped and like looked at me. We're actually Christian. We don't cuss. Oh, 
this is going to be very difficult for me. <laughs> uh, because, I mean, me and my four siblings, we like didn't get in trouble during school. Like we were very good in school, but we definitely like, we raised it on the weekend. Like it was when we were out of school and us four were together, it was definitely trouble. I don't know. We got, we did stuff. Um, but my most recent foster son, it's very, it's very funny because I mean, I, I don't cuss either in my home, um, as a Christian mother. Um, but I like to think that I am understanding. Um, but my foster son, had a lot of preconceived notions about Christians and even still, even still that he's known me like a year now, he'll still be like, well, Christians, you know how they are. And I'm like, I'm not even (laughs) like that. I'm like, stop saying these things. So it's, it's just interesting. Um, especially when you're, you, you weren't raised in Christian culture. So you only have the stereotypes and stuff. And then you're, and because a lot of foster families aren't Christians. So, yeah. Confusing. <laughs> yeah, kind of entered foster care, was doing like the whole like youth group thing. They're basically telling me, like, oh, we go to church on Sundays. And they're like, you're not required to go because like legally they're not allowed to like make you go. But we all do this as a family. So I'm required to go, <laughs> is what I mean. Um, so I would go and like, I just like it wasn't for me. Like it was, I would like see people, and they were like raising their hands, like, and it wasn't. It was like a Baptist church. It wasn't like charismatic, where they're like falling out in the spirit, getting slain, you know. Some of the speaking in tongues. I'm like, yes. Um, now I would love that, but uh, that would have been overwhelming as your first oh, experience. One hundred percent. Say that. <laughs> Thank God for the Baptists. <laughs> Is this Bethel? <laughs> no. Um, but welcome. <laughs> Like, we, what the uh, heck is this? <laughs> so I got placed with them, did that whole thing with that church. Um, a huge thing out here, it's called Harvest Crusade. It's like a bunch of people, they go to like a baseball field and like there's like worship bands that like play. It was like when Cutlass was huge, we were all like listening to him or whatever. Um, and yeah, we, I kind of went out there with my family, uh, my foster family, it was me and my siblings. And they're like, who wants to accept Jesus? I Mind you, I had not paid attention to anything up to this point. Um, and then my foster dad's like nudging us, like you guys, right? You guys. I'm like, no, what do you mean? (laughs) And basically he like, we went down to the field to like go accept Jesus. And then they handed us a Bible and added a little check mark next to their number counter so that we could be counted, you know? Um, and then we uh, pushed off the field basically. Um, so I was just like, oh, that was a great evangelism experience for me. Um, but yeah, like definitely did not receive Jesus. Like, there was no relationship formed. I didn't have an experience with the Holy Spirit at all. It was like nothing there, you know. Um, the nudge kills uh, me. The, the nudge, nudge is 100% real. Like, you're going to go down there? I'm good here. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink. Don't you Literally. feel God? <laughs> I don't know, man. I feel like God's telling me you guys should, should go down. He's not telling me anything currently. <laughs> um but, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then kind of was just Hilarious. sitting in this group, um, and just like yeah, kind of going through the motions of it all, just like being there for attendance. So my parents didn't have to find somebody to watch us, basically. Um, so they were more like my babysitters at this point. Um, but I remember going to church on a Sunday, um, and they were playing. There was worship playing. Uh, it was like at the beginning, like the first few songs, um, and I was like literally the kid who like sat with arms like. I'm six foot four now, but like I was like slouched in my chair, like all like 
I don't know, just like not into it. Like it was like, like God, get him out of here. Like he's draining the energy of the room. Um, and yeah, it was just, I didn't, I didn't click. Nothing was clicking with me. Um, and then I kind of was like looking around, like seeing that people were like having their like hands raised, you know, and like people were having like an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Um, but I didn't know what that was at the time. Um, and they were, I just like was thinking like, like what are these people like reaching out for? Like what, what are these people responding to? Like what, like what is this connection that they have? And like, like what is it, you know? Um, and I kind of just closed my eyes and I was like, I'm going to like listen to these lyrics. And they were playing the song from the inside out. Hillsong United, classic banger. Um, and yeah, I just kind of like let those lyrics kind of like run through like my mind. Um, and I feel like that was the first time I ever encountered the Holy Spirit. Something was definitely getting stirred up inside of me. And I kind of like shut it down because I was scared. And I was like, this, I don't know what that is. But like, this isn't happening, you know? Um, and growing up the way that I did, I had always questioned like, one, if there was a God, like how is he real? And two, if there was like, a God and he was supposed to be like knowing and all knowing and all loving and all sufficient and the provider, none of that lines up with my story. None of that is part of my identity. Like, like those aren't, those aren't things that I claim, you know? Um, and yeah, I really, I had like a hardened heart toward God. I was like, God doesn't love me. If he did, I wouldn't be in the situation. I mean, I wouldn't have lived the life that I had lived, you know, in the past. Um, and then they started singing the song, he loves us, David Crowder version or whatever, like, um, the OG, you know? Um, and like every time they were like, like, he loves us, he loves us, he loves us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's the yeah. sloppy wet version, not the unforeseen, but basically I, that's when I really did like encounter like the Holy spirit. And I was like more open to like what was going on. And I got like freaked out. So I like ran to the back of the room and I was just like, I talked to like my youth pastor. Um, and I think I shared this, uh, on the phone. I was like, she was a woman at the time. Um, which is, this is like 2006 or seven. Um, and it's like, it was very progressive of her in the moment to be like a woman youth pastor, um, uh, in our time. And I just was like, I don't know what's going on with me. Like, this is what's happening. Like I, I have all these feelings and she was like, this is like the Holy spirit. I do. And like, except Jesus she kind of like walked into the whole thing. And that was like the first time I really understood like the gospel, um, and like what Jesus kind of like did for me. Um, and it was like, a, it was real, it was tangible to me. So I was like, this is obviously something that I want, um, and yeah, um, that's kind of how I came to know Jesus. Um, my foster parents were not by any means the definition of a model Christian. I actually didn't even want to be a Christian even after I gave my life over to God because of the way that they lived their life. It was very much a do as I say, like, no, that's what I do. I love God, but I don't want to be. <laughs> Literally, yeah, that's kind of what my mindset was. I was living two very different ways at school because I saw them living a different way at home versus how they lived at church too. Um, so I was like, oh, like, this is how Christians are going to be. Like, this isn't even who I want to be. Like, these people don't reflect Jesus. They're no different than like the people that I see at school that you guys tell me not to be friends with, you know? Um, and then, yeah, we kind of moved to a new area and we started, we checked out a new church. Um, it was a church that I was previously at for 10 years. Um, so I ended up really liking the church there. Um, and I feel like that was the first time I ever saw, um, like people who actually like lived out their faith. Like they, like they said, like, Oh, I'm a Christian, but the acts followed behind it. Not that it's about like the deeds and services and stuff like that, but everything kind of like lined up. These people generally love God. These people's life reflect that they do love God. And so do their actions. Like, these are the people that I wanted to be with. Um, and then the family ended up not even continuing to go to that church anymore because of a fallout with the pastor um, who wouldn't marry their daughter, apparently, or something weird. So, but I still ended up going because I really liked the people there. Um, and that's where, like, I feel like my faith really kind of became, like, real and my own. Like, I think I definitely encountered Jesus when I was 16, uh, like, with my youth pastor. Um, but it, it was kind of, like, more, like, mm. it was real. Like, I was active in my faith. Um I like was like doing the high school ministry. I was like president of the Christian club and high, high school and stuff. Um, and yeah, kind of like that you, is pretty cool, right there. Yeah, I mean, from not knowing anything like a year and a half, kind of right before, prior to that, to like 
doing that. Yeah. It was wild, but I don't know. I, I, I surrounded myself with like really good people. Um, and like people who like love God, those are the people that I did like community with and stuff. Um, and yeah, I feel like those people, I, I don't even know if it was their families, but I just like, I saw people and how that they were, how they were. And I was like, I don't want to be like my foster parents. I'd rather be like, like this, like these type of Christians, I guess, you know? Um, and so I try to like model my life based off of that. Not, not the people themselves, but like Christ's example of how we should be. Um, and I kept letting like the worldly example of Christ, um, like, like a person be my example. When I first started, like my relationship with God, it was like, well, I could be like my foster parents because they do this, this and this. But it's like, no, I'm not called to be like my foster parents. I'm called to be like God. And like, I need to live like how, Jesus would live. So I think once that like clicked in my head when I was like a senior in high school, that's when things like really kind of started like vamping up for like my own faith. Um, and yeah, I just do like prayer and worship and I was spending time in great community. Like, I feel like, I don't know, like, people don't know, like people know my story, but like, feel like I would have never assumed that you went through all of that based on like what you're telling me right now, because I don't see it. Like I, I don't look like a foster kid. I don't act like a foster right. kid or whatever, like they want to say, you know? Um, and I think that it's truly because like, I don't know, the healing power of Jesus Christ, he's transformed me. And I feel like if you allow him to transform you, like he definitely will, but you have to be willing to go through that, like refining process. Um, and I remember like looking back on my life thinking, oh my gosh, like how, um, terrible, like even like looking back now, like we still see it and like, no, the thing, like what happened to me was like bad and it was wrong. Um, but it kind of, and it's because in first Peter, it talks about like gold being put in the fire and it comes out like more refined. Um, and I don't know, I kind of just feel like. Those were like such like refining years of my life. Those first fifteen years were like terrible, and I wouldn't wish that upon like anybody. But like I've been able to just minister and help and relate to like so many people from that point. Um, just like if it was like when I was doing like youth ministry, I did youth ministry for ten years. Um, like the students would come, and they're maybe from like they're not the not the greatest part of town, you know. And it's, they share some of the same struggles that I did, like food insecurity, like parents are like split up, divorced, abusive, you know. And it's being able to kind of like pour into their life from like a perspective of like, hey, I've been in your shoes, versus like, like God loves you, and like just know that, you know. And if, yes, God loves us. Yes, we need to know that, but we also we have to have like action behind like our words. They just can't be these like fluffy things that we throw around. Like I, so much of like the Christian church now is very much like. God will hear your depression. Yeah, but we are also have steps that we could take now to like help, you know? Mm-hmm. It's all because of Jesus. I would I would not be here without Jesus. So I think God's just so faithful to bring people into our lives who who uh, nudge us and um and probably people before that that maybe you you know like the neighbors dropping off food. Yeah. Um, in your house little seeds I mean, kind of being planted yeah. yeah yeah I mean I feel like that in my life too like I did not grow up in a Christian home and we were poor and my story is not as you know onto the extreme as yours but mm-hmm. only I mean and my sisters are not like me at all and people yes, would never same. guess they didn't <laughs> same like, my, the black you know, sheep. <laughs> never guess if they didn't know me that the stuff that I've lived through and and I yeah. and I think you know, people ask me all the time too. Like Patricia asks me every What's now and again, like, "How are you? Yeah. Where you are? Like, where, how did you? <laughs> you did? Like, how are you normal? <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's like just God. And like even growing up, like not really growing, not growing up in a Christian yeah. home at all. Really, um, just there were so many yeah. people in my life who came in and like took care of me in ways, yeah. different ways. And it was most of the time it wasn't family, yeah. you know, it was like yeah. a boyfriend's mom or like, you know, a teacher or you know, people who did little, 
yeah, little things for me along the way. And, and looking back, yeah. wow, like, yeah, my situation wasn't ideal, Yeah, but you did have people taking care of me. And that's the reason why I'm here and different. That's the reason why I am okay, you know? And so definitely a hundred percent, God brings those people in our lives. And then it's just really yeah. cool to see how he uses us and other people's too, like how we give back way. And so yeah. that's really cool to hear from you that you were able to like very quickly, <laughs> very quickly get into those roles where you were able to see other people who reminded you of yourself and, you know, meet people yeah. where they are. Like you said, like, yeah, it's important to share mm-hmm. God and his love, but you have to sometimes first meet people where they are, especially if they already have a bad vibe about Christians. You know what I mean? I think yeah. most people have a bad vibe. Yeah, I feel like God, especially being like a two on the Enneagram, like I obviously didn't know what the Enneagram was back then. I definitely feel like God right. has definitely given me like the eye for like the one, the 99 that's going forward and the, the one that's kind of like left behind, you know? Um, because in many cases of my own life, I was the one. I know what it's like to eat lunch alone at school, like to do certain things, you know? Um, and just kind of like being that person for a person. Um, it just like matters like so much because, and like looking back, I would see so often, like you mentioned like teachers or like relational partners. My my third grade teacher changed my life. We're still friends on Facebook to this day. She would like drive us home. She'd bring us groceries. I feel like she's probably one of the only people who actually knew like how bad it was kind of at home, but not bad enough so CPS could take us, but she just knew things weren't, weren't great, you know? Um, having like those people, I can identify people from kindergarten through freshman year of high school that have stepped up. Well, I think... It's not, you know, like we like we're joking yeah. about, like there being a secret ingredient. But I do think people can kind of prime the pump along the way. Yeah. And you know, I think the secret ingredient is having, even though there's a lot of hardness of heart. Yeah. There's a there's enough of a soft spot where you're still willing. Yeah. To crack it open and let somebody love you. Yeah. Most important, somebody being God. Yeah. But even if that is other people. That your heart mm-hmm. is soft enough. There are enough soft places that you can. And I think a lot of our kids, like, there's just not enough soft places. Yeah. Um, or there's just too much fear, even when people are trying, you know, there's just too much fear that they just are too afraid yeah. to let. Because it's vulnerable to be loved. Oh, it is. You yeah. have to, you got to drop your wall down to let, because people can't love you if they don't know you. Yeah. You know? And it's scary. Yeah, and when you see that from other people, you know, when you see that from other people, mm-hmm. even when you are in a hard place, like you said, your teacher shows you that softness. My teacher showed me that softness without like shaming me. She would tell me she needed me to organize her drawers at school and she would pay yeah. me money. And then like, you know, like years later, I'm like, I love organizing. And then years later, I'm like, she didn't need me to organize her drawers. Yeah. yeah, she just and- saw me. And like, instead of like making, you know, she just, she made it in a she way. She didn't make that, it awkward. Yeah, yeah, she didn't make it awkward. And she just... You know, people like that, they just show that they care about you as a person. And then, you know, you're like, well, there must be, you know, this must be what pe- some people can really be like. When you start learning that your, your normal isn't the real normal, you know, and then you're like, whoa. Because, <laughs> I mean, I knew I knew families who, like, struggled with parents, didn't get along great, obviously. Families who were definitely, like, low income, like my dad's mm-hmm. friends and stuff. Yeah, never knew somebody as, like, poor as broke as, like, we were. Like, being 15 years old and never... Buying a new outfit is not normal. Like, we would steal our stuff from behind, like, the Goodwill donation piles and stuff. Um, but just, like, knowing, like, it was so hard to just separate, like, normal from, like, not normal, too. I kind of, like, said, like, I divide it. I, I 
it's like divided by like, oh, my life before versus like my life now. Is, I don't know. Even like now, like I have trouble. Like if I'm purchasing big things, I don't know, buying things, it's like I get remorse or like regret almost. Not buyer's regret, but I think I talked about it on my last Instagram post too. It was about survivors. You know, I'm able like, and I'm blessed enough to be able to like do this. It's almost like I feel guilty even like relishing in the fact that I've, I've been able to like treat myself to like move into my own, like move into an apartment or something like that. You know, so many of the people like I have. The four siblings who I entered care with, me and another one are doing like okay, but the other two are just running, running wild, doing the same things my parents did, you know. Um, they have the same kind of structure that you're saying, like, oh, me and my sisters, like we grew up the same. Um, like me and my sisters, we grew up the same, but like our outcome is so different. I think a lot of it comes down to also, which a lot of people aren't even scared to like admit, is because it's easy. It, it, how easy would it be to to just do what our parents? That's mm-hmm. what people are expecting. Um, I think there comes a time and a place where you as an individual, you have to take ownership of the situation. Uh, you have to choose. You can either be a victim of what happened or like the circumstances that you're in, or you can kind of use that as like a, a launching pad. Like, oh, these are all the things I don't want to do. These are all the things I don't want to be. Um, and allowing ourselves to be victimized by the situations that we have been in, it doesn't do us any good. It just allows us to be complacent in that place. Um, yeah, it would be very easy for me to sell drugs like my parents did or like, you know, just fall back into the same pattern. I have siblings who are doing it right now. Um, but it's just, that's not the kind of life that I want for myself. I want, I want better. I want, I want to do things right, you know? Um, and I don't know. I just, me doing those things, they're not going to bring me the kind of life that I want. So. Yeah. I've experienced that before. I've talked to Tr- Patricia about that before. Like, guilt. I'm not by any means like rich or wealthy, but I'm comfortable. And it's hard when your sister messages you asking for $20 for her kid. Your mom, well, I couldn't go to the hospital because I didn't have any gas, you know? And you're just like, what in the world? You just feel like when you do anything that is not necessary, like that's not necessary for survival or you're not budgeting a certain way, like maybe like, like there was a budget in my family. My mom had to budget her money and she was good at that for us to be able to eat. Um, when you're not, when you're being a little extra or, you know, just treating yourself, there's always that in the back of your mind. Am I being irresponsible? (laughs) Am I being, it's like, no, Christina, you went, you took your family out to dinner. Mm -hmm. Like you can afford to do that. Not all the time, but yeah, Yeah. but you work hard and you're, and you know, God's given you this and, and, and you can use it. Yeah. That's a, that's something in the back of my head. That's also a result of that, like, be grateful stuff, because then you're like, Oh, the like anti, so now like, you know what I mean? It, it's part of that like saying, oh, I'm forced to, to be this. grateful. Yeah. So now do I have to be, yeah. I'm not allowed to. Yeah. Last year I, I had a goal. Like I wanted to go to Europe and I went to like four different countries, like four of my best friends. Um, and even like the first day I was on the trip, I was like, kids from where I'm from, they don't, they don't leave the county. They must like, they don't leave the state time. Like, I I only lived probably an hour from the ocean before. I know kids now who like grew up with. I've never been to the beach or like just stuff like that. And it's, like, that's the reality of the life that I should have been living. And like the fact that I was like seeing the Eiffel Tower, which was like a dream of mine ever since I was like a kid. Um, it was just so like surreal to me. And it was like it was one of those like I've made it out moments where was, this is something that I, I shouldn't be experiencing. Like everything about my life says that this isn't how I should be living. But I don't I don't want to say we have control of our own lives and our own destiny because I ultimately I think that God does. But I just feel like living a life that's pleasing to God and like walking in the path that he does have for me. I feel like that's why these doors do keep opening for me to keep doing awesome things. Yeah, I, may, I don't think God's will was, oh, I need to go to Paris. I worked very hard. I've saved my money so that I could do these things. Um, 
And yeah, even like we were talking about like, oh, like my mom says I can't go to the hospital because I need gas money. It's, yeah, I, my parents do that all the time but still to this day. And it's, they're almost 60 years old. I'm like, how? Like you're almost 60. When is when are things going to click? When, is, when are you going to get life? It's so hard for me because like, yes, I know that they have trauma. They still haven't healed. They have a ton of like just issues with themselves. Um, they're clean now, thankfully. Um, but just doing stuff like that for so long, it messes with your brain. I don't know the balance there. Like, I don't know, like, oh, do I help or do I let them figure it out on their own? Um, and then if something were to happen, maybe my mom did pass away from not being able to go to the hospital. Do I live with that for the rest of my life? Um, um, and even, like, this is something I think I touched uh, on the phone with Patricia um, about, like, guilt. Like, there was a lot of guilt even in foster care with um, holidays. It was like, oh, I'm opening presents on Christmas and my mom's living in a halfway house. How do I be happy, obviously, receiving gifts that I get, but also knowing that somebody that I love and care about dearly is, like, alone on a holiday, you know? So, I don't know. There's a lot of guilt and all of that and shame and stuff, but, yeah. Well, I think we forget that. I mean, I know I know, I, I have taken it personally mm-hmm. sometimes. You're not grateful for this. I know. <laughs> Like, not even grateful but like sometimes it's like can't we just have something be good can't something just be good just it's heavy that is um it's it's hard it's hard on everybody i don't have the answers for foster parents i think foster parents play a vital role in helping foster youth become who they are like much as i don't like my foster parents or like get along with them like they were able to provide me like home you know they're paid i guess I, there was value there that I was I was able to pull stuff from their home that I I do use in my life now, as much as I don't like them. I feel like foster parents and social workers are so demonized by foster youth too. I think people are doing something because they do want to help, they do want change. Um, for the most part, I think that most social workers and most foster parents are actively trying to like make a difference in the life of foster youth. Um, but yeah, I just think that yeah, there's just again like we don't know the perfect formula. How does a foster youth go from coming from a place of severe trauma to like transitioning into successful like adult? Um, I don't know if anybody has that answer. I don't know if we ever will have that answer. Um, I think a lot of love along the way helps and grace, but yeah, it's hard because even like living with my foster family when I did, I didn't know how to communicate. Even like this is how I'm feeling on Christmas because my family, you know, um, or Mother's Day or Father's Day or. Fourth of July, you know, uh, I used to definitely see an understanding yeah. of the situation. Not make, not meaning that it makes it any less easy. Um, but I don't know the answers, I guess, for that. No, I, I guess that's just what I'm saying. Like, even though I do understand, <laughs> it's it's still you're like I'm knowledgeable, and it's still I, it hard. Is, like, <laughs> I'm yeah. here with you, and also, like, can we just have this moment? Can't we just have yeah <laughs> one moment? <laughs> And then you, take, you force them and bribe them to take the picture. And then people are like, oh, my gosh, you yeah. look so happy. And I'm like, yeah, like, you don't know, do you know what happened what like 10 minutes before we took this picture and how we had yeah. to beg kid one to even get out of bed to open presents. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I just so appreciate yeah. you sharing your story because as as the Bible often teaches, we forget we tend to forget and we get in our normal quote unquote lives and we just forget and we need to yeah. be reminded of the challenges. And, you know, another thing that I love about your story is that kind of just appreciating the mystery of how we're all different and how I know me, I'm a control freak. And so mm-hmm. I sometimes get inebriated yeah. by, by my idea of how much control I have. 
And I think for all of us on any side of this situ of the foster care situation, you have to accept what your level of control is. You do have control, but also you don't have control of a lot of stuff. And it's kind of a mystery. And at the end of the day, like it's going to land between that person and God. And <laughs> you kind of got to be like, okay, and just do your best. I mean, I know that's not awesome, deep advice, but kind of true. No, it's what it is. Yeah. yeah. The cards are going to be played how they're being played. And we got to roll with the punches of it all. But sometimes awesome things happen like you. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> So is there anything else that you, from your story that we didn't touch on that you want to make sure that you get to share? Um, no, I feel like we, I feel like we definitely, we hit a lot. Um, I feel like I'm yeah, confident in kind of everything that was put out Christina, there. So. Got any other last thoughts? Where can people find you? What are you up to these oh, days? You do have a really good Instagram. I just saw your latest post when I was, when you messaged us asking if it was 20 minutes away, <laughs> I laughed. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> but, then I, but then I saw your post. I was like, yes, I felt empowered. I'm like, so tell us what you're up to and where we can find you. Yeah. So I think I just said I moved recently to Huntington Beach, California. If you're in the area, say what's up. Um, my name on Instagram is just my first and last name, at Richard Gearman. Uh, Richard, last name is G-I-E-R-M-A-N. Um, currently, I work for a nonprofit, yeah, here in Southern California, um, and I do freelance photo work and video work. Um, so I do like portrait photos. Um, I also do like events. I love shooting like concerts and shows. I've worked with like cool people like Jamie Grace, United Pursuit, a couple other like artists, Corey Asbury. I love being able to like capture moments in time for people. Put your handle on our description, and we will of course tag you because we are really excited about your episode. But I say thanks for being so honest. I feel like I say that with every guest we have, but all of our guests are so great in being exactly what we hope their show will be, which is very transparent and just honest about the good and the tough stuff. And that's what we always say. And that's what we always want our listeners to hear. Um, and so we're just so grateful that you're willing to share your story and your truth and the hard stuff. Um, because there was a lot of hard, but there's also now a lot of good, hopefully a lot more good ahead of you than there was hard behind. So um, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and being with us today. Thank you guys for having me. If you liked today's episode or any of our episodes, we'd really appreciate a kind review on Apple Podcasts or just to share with your friends who you think might be interested in hearing the stories that are told. 